Well, good evening, friends of Carmel, and welcome back to Carmelite Conversations here on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. This evening I have a a special guest with me uh, who's going to uh, help us understand some of the changes, the revisions, to the Roman Missal. And my guest this evening is Father Tony Geraci from St. Paul's here in Yellow Springs in Ohio. Good evening, Father Tony. Good evening, Mark. Nice to be here. Thank you, uh, and thank you for joining us. It's uh, been a, a goal of mine, Father, as you know. We met uh, a, a number of weeks ago, of course, in the interest of full disclosure here. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say that I am a member of uh, Father's Parish, St. Paul's in Yellow Springs in Ohio. Right. Uh, and we met a number of weeks ago, a few months ago, and I said, Father, I'm going to get you on the radio program. Uh, you seemed a little bit reluctant at that point, not because right. of your... Uh, experience you've been on the radio before, but only because I know how busy your schedule is. But I did say that I wanted to get you on to talk about two topics, actually. Mm-hmm. One was the uh, the revision, and the second was music, because I know your great appreciation for music. We do uh, every week, Father, as I had said uh, earlier, we begin with prayer. I'll, I'll go ahead and read this evening's uh, prayer. It's a, um, a tribute to St. John of the Cross, uh, because we just finished up a series on St. John of the Cross, and so in closing that out, I'm going to read a prayer from St. John of the Cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O then, soul, most beautiful among all creatures, so anxious to know the dwelling place of your beloved, so you may go in search of him and be united with him. Now we are telling you that you yourself are his dwelling and his secret inner room and hiding place. There is reason for you to be elated and joyful in seeing that all your good and hope is so close as to be within you, or better, that you cannot be without him. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Holy Spirit, Spirit. amen. Amen. And with that, Father, we say goodbye to a series we've just finished on St. John of the Cross. We'll be picking one up on... Uh, Therese of Lisieux beginning next week. But, of course, this evening we want to talk about uh, the revision to the uh, the Roman Missal uh, here in the United States, the English version. Uh, but before we do that, I'd like you to take a moment to introduce yourself to our audience a little bit. Uh, I know you've been in the Diocese of Cincinnati since you were ordained. You have an interesting academic background. Uh, share with us a little bit about your uh, your background, please. Right. I was ordained by Cardinal, or the Archbishop uh, Bernardine, in 1975, so that makes me ordained about 36 years. He he was Archbishop of Cincinnati, then went on to Chicago. Uh, I was a practical organist, too, uh, during my seminary years and before that. Uh, so I remember helping to introduce the first revisions, the first changes, uh, as set out by the Vatican Council in 1964-1965. I was a junior in high school, believe it or not, and uh, I remember traveling from uh, one parish to another to play the organ to help introduce the hymnities, the hymns uh, at each parish, including the responsorial psalms and, of course, the the Kyrie, Gloria Sanctus Benedictus, which, uh, you know, the glory to God in the highest, holy, holy, uh, then Eucharistic acclamation, the great amen, and uh, Lamb of God. Oh, those were all very interesting times, and I remember even playing the uh, and singing the, um, and many of us did, the propers of the Mass in English when we started. And of course, that by uh, proper innovation, 
that came from Rome and from our bishops um, was supplanted, many of those uh, propers, by um, the hymns that we sing. So, so you come at this with a considerable amount of experience, Father. This is, yes. this is old uh, territory for you. It is somewhat, yeah. It's all revisited territory. I grew up with a lot of those uh, translations that we are now using. Mm-hmm. And we had them in the old St. Andrew Missal. Uh, of course, we used the Liber Usa Wallace under Sir John Faring in Cincinnati. Um, we uh, sang all those propers at the cathedral. I was in the Bishop's Choir School also. Um, we did sang all the propers in the seminary, and of course we experienced the change. We went into English propers, and then we went from the propers to English hymns. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really credit my teachers and many of the priests at St. Gregory College and Mount St. Mary Seminary in Cincinnati the, with the transition from one style to another, from doing the propers to from Latin to English, and then going to the hymns. Very well done. Now your uh, your graduate work intrigued me too. I've been uh, I've had the uh, privilege of uh, reviewing your bio on a couple of occasions. Uh, tell tell mm-hmm. our listeners a little bit about your uh, academic uh, background. My first MA is in history from Xavier University, and that was in uh, 1970-71. And then my second MA. As Master of Divinity from uh, Mount St. Mary's Theologate, the uh, the Athenaeum of Ohio. Third MA was uh, from Catholic University of America in the study of liturgy, theology and liturgy. And then I received my doctorate in about 1989 from United Theological, it's a seminary college, at um, in, here in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, it's a Methodist university, but it is very well-founded in good discipline. So our listeners know that you come uh, to us, Father, well-qualified for the I topic so. that we're going to discuss. Oh, boy, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me well, let me relate a story myself. Uh, I, I do first want to invite our listeners to uh, become part of the conversation if they choose to do that. You may have a question about the revisions of the English uh, Missal, and of course, uh, much of this is in play right now, certainly within our diocese, Father. We've begun the music uh, revisions, and we'll begin soon with the uh, revision to the language. But uh, there may be a, a question or two from our listeners about what's happening and why and why now and so forth. Of course, we're going to cover some of this. But let, let me begin with a brief story, Father, myself. I told you I would share this with you uh, this week, literally, at work. I walked into the office of one of my coworkers and found him listening to a uh, a, a curriculum, if you will, on the internet, mm-hmm. and I asked him whether it was one of the corporate internal curriculums. I work in the IT business, and uh, we have a great deal of training mm-hmm. responsibility. So I asked if that was what he was listening to, and he said, "No, I'm listening to a uh, a download on the revision of the of the missal for the mass." And I said, "Oh, no kidding! That's fantastic!" Mm-hmm. And apparently, uh, the local university here, University of Dayton, has hosted a mm-hmm. a link that you can download, I'm sure this is true across many of the dioceses in the country, uh, to begin to introduce yourself to uh, what's coming. And I thought that that was particularly interesting because, uh, as you and I have discussed before, this uh, revision gives all of us Catholics a wonderful opportunity to re-familiarize, quite frankly, ourselves with the Mass, because we're going to have a little bit of a jarring, if you will, from 
the standard recitation of what we've become very comfortable with over the years. And now there are going to be these subtle changes, but those subtle changes should cause us to question why? Why are we changing that language? And we're going to talk about some of the specific language right. changes. Mm-hmm. But it's a wonderful opportunity, isn't it, for us as Catholics to be in, to re-educate ourselves on the significance of the Mass. Re-educate ourselves on the significance of the Mass, the Paschal Mystery of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to rededicate ourselves to what that is all about. And we're talking about the Paschal Mystery of our Lord Jesus, you know, our redemption made present for us. Yes, this will be provide a challenge for us. And uh, honestly, uh, many of us grew up uh, knowing a lot of these words and a lot of these phrases in the English that was around pre-1965. Uh, uh, and what we had gone to from 65 to 72 was a dynamic equivalency in our translation, coming close to the meaning that was found in the Latin, coming close to the meaning that we found in the Greek. Uh, and it did make pretty good English sense, but sometimes we glossed over the fuller meaning. Uh, we'll talk about this, I'm sure, a little bit. Well, and I have to, because I said that I would, I, I have to relate <laughs> the uh, significance to a Carmelite uh, spirituality, and I had shared with you, Father, the uh, story earlier. I think there is a great correlation here. Mm-hmm. And I shared with you briefly the history of the Carmelite order, sure. uh, beginning, of course, on Mount Carmel with the monks, and uh, after the uh, continuing uh, uh, threats from uh, both the Crusades and raiders and bands and so forth in that area of the world, mm-hmm. uh, the Carmelite order, in large part, picked up and moved back to Europe. Many of the monks, mm-hmm. of course, were European. Uh, and began to integrate themselves into European culture and society, into the university and the educational structure and so forth, um, and began for a time to lose their way. And mm-hmm. I, of course, am a member of the uh, discalced, uh, secular mm-hmm. discalced order, right. uh, which is the mm-hmm. reform that St. Teresa mm-hmm. of Avila and St. John brought about. And one of the things that Teresa pointed to as a uh, um, uh, sort of a guiding light to return the order to its uh, original charism of contemplative prayer, seeking the Lord in the interior life, and so forth, mm-hmm. was the original rule uh, gifted to us by St. Albert of Jerusalem, the Patriarch of Jerusalem, mm-hmm. who wrote the rule for the original monks on Mount Carmel. And she said, we've got to return to the rule. We've got to remember what it is that uh, was the basis of uh, our spirituality and our charism of contemplative prayer, the interior life, living in the interior of the cell, which is our soul, and seeking God within. But to do that, she returned to the original text. Mm-hmm. She returned to the original document. And we're so uh, uh, quick, I think, in our modern society to dump the old and look for the new and look for the unique and so forth and and uh, um, move on, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But more often than not, we might be well uh, serve to look back and try mm-hmm. to understand what it is that our forebears have gifted us with, in this case, mm-hmm. uh, the rule of the original Carmelite order. To this issue, mm-hmm. we're going back to the original language, and we had this uh, discussion. We're not really changing the Mass, are we, fundamentally? No, no we're not at all. Uh, we're just using uh, some of the more authentic words. That's how John Paul put it. That's how Benedict the Sixteenth is putting it. Uh, we're going back to words that we were we are familiar with are a little more technical, uh, and that's not bad. It's going to cause us to think, and maybe think deeply. Uh, that's that's not uh, bad. And and in the 
translation is called a formal equivalency now. We are moving from that dynamic equivalency, and and it had it seemed uh, at the time back in seventy two, this was the best they could come up with for our for our specific um, English culture. But then we woke up and said, well, "Wait a minute! The rest of the world, rest of the Catholic world, are still using many of the words that we either glossed over or gave up. You know, we shortened parts of the Gloria." Now, we are regaining those, because each of those words in there say something about Jesus. And, yeah. Now, you told me the history of this began, of course, under John Paul II. Tell, tell our listeners a little bit about where the revision exercise began. This goes back some, some time. This isn't just in the last couple of years. No. Uh, well, John Paul was uh, faced with uh, a task of looking at all of the sacramentaries, all of the missiles from around the world, and he was very gifted in language and kept looking for one missile and another and another, and he came to the American uh, missile, and mm, those Americans, yes. Well, uh, well, we had glossed over some things, changed a few other things, not not the meanings, not essentially, but but we changed those words and made them a little bit too simple. Uh, uh, and so it is our Holy Father's will now, and the Church's universal will, that we restore some of those uh, texts uh, so that they're deeper. They're going, they're going to make us think, but they are technically correct. They are, as John Paul said, authentic. They're authentic to the teaching of the Church, to our tradition, and to the Scriptures. Yeah, in my business, when we talk about uh, modifications to the existing at the local level, we uh, somewhat uh, uh, tongue-in-cheek call that county option. You know, folks chose county option. Uh, so. they, they chose to do what was uh, comfortable for them at the time. Okay. And of course, sure. this is not in any way, I know, Father, to mm-hmm. minimize or criticize uh, the translation that we're working with now. Of course, mm-hmm. it served mm-hmm. us well. Uh, the, the Holy Father, John Paul, uh, uh, beginning with John Paul, of course, now uh, through Benedict, uh, believe that the return to a more authentic translation mm-hmm. consistent with the original Latin mm-hmm. will help or draw Greek. out, or Greek, mm-hmm. will help draw out both the reverence, uh, the appreciation, the transcendence of what it is that we are praying in the most significant prayer that we undertake each day, and that, of course, is the Mass. That is right. Transcendence, transcendence is a big word, and uh, there is something there that's going to be there, before we are born, while we're alive, and after we're dead, and that is God. And there's something very, very permanent about that. Uh, for sure, there are some people who will not like these things and uh, find it maybe difficult or uh, superfluous. I, I personally feel they're very good revisions. I think they're returning us to uh, some uh, words and phrases that have been there for a long, long time, going back to some, some to the Didache, some to the Leonine Sacramentary. You may have to uh, say something about the Didache. Oh well, that's 100 A.D. Yeah. It was a little teaching, the original uh, Catechism, if you yeah, will. That's right. Well, that's right. Yeah. And you can find many of the prayers at the, in our Mass right back there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're, we're not just making this up. Is we can go back to those things. We can go back to the Leonine Sacramentary, and then to the Gelasian Sacramentary right after that. Leo 326, thereabouts, uh, there are uh, fragments and, in, in fact, some good books that, that guide us. Gelasius, 
put it together better than, of course, Gregory the Great. Absolutely, 590 to 604 uh, was his reign. Um, uh, gave us some some great stuff and, and solidified a lot of the tradition. So right. we're returning to something. The revision is returning to something. Uh, but it's, as, as we've said, returning to something more authentic. And the objective is to draw out the deeper and the fuller meaning of the words. Uh, Let's get into some of the changes. We've talked about them a couple of uh, moments here. Now let's get into some of the changes, Father, and I think they Mm -hmm. may serve as examples to sort of bring out what it is that we're referring to. Mm -hmm. I want to go, first of all, to uh, the the very opening of the Mass, the greeting. Uh, The new language, I'll just read the new language. The priest will say the words, the Lord be with you. Of course, today we would all say, and also with you. But tomorrow, and really only a few weeks away, we'll talk about the timing in just a moment, Father. Mm -hmm. Now the people's response will be, and with your spirit. Mm -hmm. And with your spirit. Now I have to say, again, uh, and I promise, Father, I won't do this through the whole program, but uh, Mm -hmm. drawing on my Carmelite charism and and picking up on the Carmelite theme, Mm -hmm. this is an ideal translation. It's an acknowledgement of the significance of the Spirit dwelling in each and every one of us. Mm -hmm. Uh, We as baptized Catholics know uh, that the Spirit dwells within us. And so we are uh, acknowledging and appreciating that it's not just a a priest, not just a a persona Christe, uh, but both the priest and all of the members of the congregation have the Spirit of God dwelling within them. And our response here is, and with your spirit, spirit. not uh-huh. simply and with you. Right. Uh, it's very interesting. I just recalled uh, uh, one of my old professors at Catholic University of America, and uh, he he wasn't satisfied with this greeting. He says, well, if we're going to do it this way, and also with you, I'd rather say, and likewise with you. <laughs> likewise, I'm sure. Okay. <laughs> likewise, I'm sure. Well, and this points up, this is something that John Paul caught. He says, no, this is not just a, a little more courteous exchange of words. We're saluting the Holy Spirit that is within each one of us, the Holy Spirit that transformed even the 70 elders assembled by Moses. So uh, some, you know, since I mentioned the scriptures, we can go to Galatians and find the Lord be with you and with your spirit. That's Galatians 6.18, Philippians 4.23, and 2 Timothy 4.22. We can go back earlier. Go back to the book of Numbers 11, chapter 11, verses 16 to 17. And the Lord spoke to Moses, Assemble the seventy elders, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you, and will bestow it on them, that they share with you the burdens of service, that you not bear it all by yourself. It was a salute to the spirit, a recognition. We're in this together. It isn't we who make up the religion and our spiritual qualities. God begins it. God sustains it. God will bring it to an end. We're saluting that spirit. And, and of course, I grew up with this uh, when, when, as the English translation in my St. Andrew Missal, when I, we said, Dominus Vobiscum et cum spiritu tuo, the translation was, the Lord be with you and with your spirit, or we would even say, with thy spirit, a little archaic. But we knew what that was about. We are saluting the spirit of the Lord within us. Go ahead. And, and Father, I want to, again, take a moment to invite our listeners to call in. There, there are uh, 
Uh, very interesting uh, changes, I think, coming about mm -hmm. as a result of the revision. You're going to enlighten us, as you have on this particular one, uh, with the, uh, the, the in integrity, as I said before, of the return to the, uh, the, the original authentic. and authentic documentation. Mm -hmm. uh, there may be other questions. Again, I remind you, you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Father, I want to move on. I think that's a very interesting point, the emphasis on spirit. Um, Benedict, had, the 16th, had something very interesting, too, recently. Um, when we discover Christ through the power of the Spirit, we discover more ourselves, who we really are. The Lord be with you and with your spirit as a profound salute to and the recognition of the presence and activity of the Holy Spirit within each and every one of us, the spirit that leads us to discover Christ, and in doing so, we truly discover ourselves. Well, and of course, our yeah. listeners who may have been with us for the last uh, four weeks as we covered the uh, four stages of St. John of the Cross, oh, yeah. Dark Night, oh, yeah. um, and he talks about, and he leads us through this understanding, uh, not that the material uh, uh, nature of our being is somehow... A bad or needs to be dispensed with, mm -hmm. but it needs to be purified, and it needs, as St. Thomas Aquinas taught us, mm -hmm. it needs to be perfected through grace and through mm -hmm. the active uh, 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 involvement of the Holy Spirit within us. Mm -hmm. And this language brings us back to that deeper meaning. Sure. Well, when we, uh, um, we'll take a break in just a moment. I want to introduce this next uh, bit of language, though, Father, mm -hmm. and get your insight on it. Right. This is in the pen penitential rite. And now we're introducing, although you educated me, uh, I, I wasn't um, familiar at that time, Father. I was still uh, a little young and probably wasn't reciting these words. But uh, just quickly, I'll read the introduction, or now reintroduction, of this language. Mm -hmm. um, I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words and what I have done and in what I have failed to do. Now, we're all familiar with that, but we're now re-including... Through my fault, through my fault, mm -hmm. through my most grievous fault. Mm -hmm. Why the reintroduction of this, you think, Father? First, it is more authentic. The rest of the world is uh, saying uh, uh, that phrase, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Uh, must we? Uh, if uh, it is authentic, it, it, uh, we, we got the point across, but the rest of the world is saying it just a little differently. And why can't we be authentic to the older uh, forms? Uh, they're all, they're timeless. They'll always be uh, applicable. And it our sin comes through. This is rather Gallican. It comes from from that repetition that we saw in early France from the time of Charlemagne that found its way back to Rome. And things would be said three times in order to get a point across. And that sin is our fault, our own fault. And our most grievous fault. It's poetic, and we're returning to a something that the whole rest of the world is saying. And I think for um, our Carmelite listeners, again, and from a Carmelite perspective, we've gone through both uh, St. John most recently and Teresa of Avila before that. Mm -hmm. uh, they would agree, we must acknowledge our sin. We must acknowledge our fallen yes. nature. Uh -huh. If we don't, we can't be healed. Mm -hmm. Humility. Teresa teaches humility throughout her entire a uh, series of works, and of course, uh, St. John of the Cross as well. If we cannot accept our condition before our Lord, that of a sinful person, mm -hmm. um, a, a flawed, albeit 
uh, a consequence of our nature in Adam. But nonetheless, we have sinned. We've chosen to sin, and we've sinned. We've fallen. Mm-hmm. And if we can't acknowledge that before our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we can't be healed. And, right. and the the repetitive Repet- nature of this, right. uh, uh, thrice uh, said, if you will, um, helps us deepen our appreciation for both our participation in sin, our willing participation in sin, and the fact that we've grievously participated in it. Correct. And uh, some people will say, oh, it's peripheral, it's not necessary. I, uh, Again, it's part of our tradition. It has been there. It is, uh, it is uh, more authentic to say it this way. And then in, the poet, in this poetic presentation, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault, it's getting the point across. Well, listeners, we're going to take a break now, and uh, when we come back, we're going to pick up on the Gloria and some of the changes in the terminology in the Gloria. Please join us.
back, listeners. Again, my guest this evening is Father Tony Geraci from St. Paul's in Yellow Springs, Ohio. And we're talking about the new Roman Missal, the revisions to the Roman Missal, the English Missal, that will be rolled out here in the next uh, many weeks, Father, uh, here in the Diocese of Cincinnati anyway, right? That is right. Uh, We are beginning to sing the ordinary parts of the Mass, uh, uh, beginning as of September uh, uh, the 11th, and we're starting at St. Paul's this next weekend, October the 1st. Great. And we actually had begun. You're right. Some of the, mm-hmm. the new training in the music. We'll talk about that right. in just mm-hmm. a moment. I know it's a mm-hmm. uh, a subject near and dear to your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to pick up, though, on the, some of the language changes we had talked about just before we left for the break. In the Gloria now, we have the introduction of uh, this language, which I thought was mm-hmm. uh, a particularly uh, important. Uh, we praise you. Mm-hmm. We bless you. We adore you. We glorify you. Now, these are new words, of course, following the glory to God in the highest on earth, peace to people of goodwill. That's somewhat of a change, of course. Uh, But the introduction of this, we glorify you, we adore you, we bless you, we praise you. Mm -hmm. The significance of that, Father, for us. Well, again, these are theological terms, and this is theology uh, at its best. We can find foundations for these things in the scriptures, in the Gospel of John, uh, but uh, we end also in the epistle of St. John, but we're trying to teach ourselves who is this person, or the Church is actually teaching us. Who is this person? We praise you, we bless you, we glorify you, uh, we acknowledge you as the only begotten Son. Uh, these are all attributes of Jesus that belong to him alone, and we don't praise each other. We don't glorify each other. What we're doing is returning to a, very simply here, a more authentic understanding in the glory of who Jesus is and how we react to Jesus. Uh, we don't go around uh, making supplication <laughs> usually to each other. If we usually get a, oh, I'm sorry, uh, in this day and age, uh, that's pretty good. But we, these these are things that belong to the person of Jesus. We acknowledge that then. And uh, I I don't know why, but uh, maybe some of our translators thought they were a little superfluous, too much, but uh, in the wisdom of our Holy Father, John Paul and Benedict, we are going back to those. Yes, they're more theological. Yes, they're going to make us think. Yes, they've been doing that for a long, long time. And the rest of the world is going, going, Catholic world is going to do it too. Well, and what struck me about this language, Father, and we um, uh, talked about this briefly with regard to the text that we're both working from. We'll, we'll mm-hmm. share the uh, the text with you uh, towards the end of the program for uh, uh, reference, and there'll be a couple of reference materials that Father will share with us. But um, the um, idea that Edward Shree brought out in his explanation of this mm-hmm. is the style, the reverence, uh, as you suggested, the acknowledgement of who it is we're talking with. So right. Catherine of Siena had a great saying uh, that she used to begin her prayer by remembering who it was that she was talking to and who it was that she herself was. And she said, you know, let's get seeing things straight here. Uh, you're God, I'm not. Uh, you're, you don't have the flaws that I have, and of course uh, I'm rampant with them. So she sort of set the table before she would enter prayer. Here, mm-hmm. of course, we've entered the prayer of the Mass, 
and we are acknowledging um, uh, with a, a high degree of appreciation who it is that we're speaking to, who it is that we're glorifying, who it is that we're paying reverence to. That is correct. And in a sense, we have to remember that we are special beings, too, that there's a spiritual side to us. Uh, my goodness, your religious anthropologists keep reminding us over and over, the latest being maybe Joseph Campbell, now deceased. Uh, I didn't agree with everything that he said, but he kept saying we are special human beings. And when we acknowledge this, that, that there's something about us that is eternal, then we better recognize it in the Eternal One, who is Jesus. And then we say so. We praise you. We bless you. We adore you. We glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. Boy, that says a whole lot right there. In, and in the translations since, since 72, a lot of that was all compressed together. And John Paul, Pope John Paul, said, no, let's be a little more authentic to the ancient texts. Let's draw it out. Let's say who Jesus is and why. We praise you, we bless you, we glorify because of your great glory. I mean, there is no other. This is You are the transcendent one who was here before we're born. You sustain us, and you'll be here after we're gone. Well, and of course, uh, we as uh, Carmelites, our Carmelite listeners in the uh, audience, of course, we have others from other um, orders and, and uh, charisms and devotions, but... Uh, certainly in the Carmelite order, we teach that the um, development of our prayer life in God begins with dependence, begins with the acknowledgement, of course, of our dependence on God, mm-hmm. eventually to what we discussed a moment ago, our uh, our uh, sinfulness and our need for mercy, mm-hmm. and an appreciation of what God provisions us in our life to help yes. us in our material mm-hmm. world and so forth. But ultimately, our prayer and our love for God matures to simply an appreciation for who God is. We love mm-hmm. him not for what he does, not for how he supports us, but we grow to love in the way that he loves, and that is loving him simply for who he is. Mm-hmm. That's what's being expressed, I think, in this, uh, it, it in this is, translation. It's, it's very, again, it's poetry, uh, but it's based in theology. It's based on how uh, the ancients would... Our ancient ancestors, our Jewish ancestors, would would uh, salute God with blessing, with adoration, with glorification. Uh, each one, each one of those words has a profound impact. Uh, we give you thanks for your great glory. Uh, Barakah, thanks. Eucharistia. Uh, that's all tied in there. Uh, these These are elements that were found in the worship that Jesus knew, and it continues today. You know, I want to stress something else, and this is, again, from our series on St. John of the Cross. John of the Cross, as you know, Father, was a wonderful poet, and yeah. even today acknowledges one of the greatest romantic mm-hmm. uh, poets in the Spanish tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, and the significance that was placed on John's poetry, mm-hmm. John could take a four-line uh, 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 you know, poem and... Uh, spend pages explaining the depth of meaning hidden in those few words mm-hmm. and and draw out from his own experience. And by the way, we learned last week again uh, that John wouldn't write the commentary on his own poetry. Of course, much of the poetry was written during his eight months of captivity right. in Toledo, but 
uh, he would not do the commentary on the poetry until he'd gotten himself back into a state of deep recollection and prayer Mm -hmm. so that he could begin to enter back into the language. The language was all important, of course, it would be for a poet. And here again, you've drawn it out a couple of times and used the uh, reference to the more poetic uh, nature of this language. And I think for our listeners, it's important to point out there are levels of meaning, there are depths Mm -hmm. of understanding hidden mm-hmm. in this language, mm-hmm. as is true in Scripture, right. that we have to take some time to work with and mm-hmm. to pray with, mm-hmm. uh, to enter into. And yes, we can use the intellectual series of, what does this mean to me? How does this affect my life today? What does it mean that I'm reverencing God? But eventually, we know, again, as Carmelites, we enter into a state of silence and solitude. We enter into simplicity, and we let the words speak to us. This is our charism. This is the nature of the Carmelite prayer. Right. Um, and the the volume, I think, of of experience hidden in these words, if we gave them the opportunity, mm-hmm. uh, would be significant. Right. We have to go to the footnotes. We're, if we're going to be authentic, we've got to go back to our tradition in the past. We have to go back to even uh, to uh, Hebrew uh, uh, worship uh, in the temple. There was always praise. Thanks, petition, and reparation, four big elements in in that uh, worship. It's just being captured and, and be, being spoken in uh, a lovely way in the, in the Gloria, and we we have re- recaptured those words as a word. Not me, and uh, not just you and I. The, the, our Holy Father, uh, John Paul, saw this and said, "Well, let's be a little authentic. Let's go back and and use these things." And I want to emphasize again, Mm -hmm. we began this, and of course we'll close out with this idea, but I think it's so important for us as Catholics to realize the gift we've been given, Mm -hmm. and within the Mass, and in this exercise of the revision, the return to a more authentic uh, translation, Mm -hmm. we have a a wonderful opportunity, not just for ourselves, but perhaps as uh, parents, uh, for our children, to take our children and spend a few minutes and say, well, they've changed the language here. Let's talk a little bit about what this means. And we're going to talk, uh, wrestle with one of these more challenging words here in just a moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a wonderful opportunity to re-enter a dialogue around the Mass, mm-hmm. the significance of the Mass, uh, the, the centrality of the Eucharistic uh, uh, experience that we uh, participate in, uh, of course, every week, and we hope perhaps more often than that throughout the course of the week. Uh, I want to... Uh, uh, in fact, uh, Father, thank you for uh, the gift that you are to us in our parish. Uh, for our listeners who certainly wouldn't be aware of this, the uh, Father uh, holds Mass all but one day a week, and um, following Mass uh, leads uh, those who are participating in a rosary and then a Eucharistic adoration, uh, followed, of course, by benediction. Uh, I can tell you at St. Paul's, we feel the centrality of the Eucharist in, in our daily uh, uh, um, uh participation in the church and certainly uh, in the weekend uh, masses, Father, that, uh, that you offer. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, I, I thank you for that. I appreciate it. I know as a member uh, of your parish and my family as well as members of your parish appreciate deeply what, what it is that you provide us because you give us Christ. You give us uh, an opportunity to worship our Lord and Savior uh, in the Eucharist and, and you do so on a daily basis and that's very significant for us. Right. Um, the uh, documents of the Second Vatican Council call for full, active, and conscious participation in the Divine Liturgy, in our worship. And that full, active, and conscious 
participation requires a great spiritual underpinning, a great amount of reflection, and that's what we're trying to do when we pray after Mass, when we're in the presence of uh, our Lord Jesus in the sacrament of the Eucharist. Um, yeah, we're trying to, to get a, a greater spiritual underpinning to our lives so that we, when we do celebrate Mass, we can come back even more prepared with a greater understanding of what's going on here. Who is this Jesus? Okay. And what is he doing in my life? And what is he doing in my... Oh, you might be surprised. <laughs> and, and you might be surprised at the miracles that happen right at Mass when we are prepared that way, that way when we are conscious of, of uh, what is going on. I've had to have taken the time to, uh, in, in uh, spiritual thinking and uh, uh, meditation, to say, ooh, what is this? Uh, How is this affecting me? It does affect us. And we, of course, uh, have had these conversations before, and um, the Father and I had the privilege of actually putting together a brief CD on some of the revisions, and uh, we went into a discussion, I recall, in that uh, particular conversation about the recommendations you had regarding how people can extract the real value out of the Mass and some of the more simple ones, of course, as you just said. Be prepared. Mm-hmm. Be prepared. Go with an open heart. You know, in our busy society, so often we're rushing out the door. This is true in my own family. We're rushing out the door moments mm-hmm. before the Mass, and we're, you know, squealing up in front of the church with the brakes uh, uh, <laughs> it uh, rubbing the tires and so forth, <laughs> and, and uh, rushing into Mass and kids and clothes and all the rest of it. But um, you, your recommendation was mm-hmm. come prepared. Be well, there early. Be there early and, you know, spend a little time in conversation with the Lord. Stay a little longer. Enter into the Mass. Right, enter into it fully, completely, spiritually, consciously. Um, you know, I, I just recently one uh, parishioner complained, I'm, don't, I don't want to be told I have to put something into it. I said, I'll tell you this, translate that, and just be open. That's what you can put into it. Be open to the movement of the Spirit, to the movement of the Lord, His words, the action at the altar. Be open to it. Just be open. And let the Lord soak in, and, and, and He will. Yeah, I, I also recall the uh, discussion where we uh, we talked about uh, doing the readings before you get to Mass. How important that is! Do the readings before you ever arrive at Mass. Doesn't take but a few minutes, mm-hmm. and it gives you an opportunity, it gives you a leg up on on sure. that particular mm-hmm. portion of the Mass because you'll know what's coming. But also, it gives you an opportunity to reflect before you get there. And then look for the correlation of that in the homily that's shared by the priest. Mm-hmm. Where do you see um, the, uh, the, the counsel and the reflection, as you shared earlier, having an active role in your life? Mm-hmm. How are you drawing from that experience? What does the gospel have to teach you that day? Mm-hmm. Um, preparation is all important. Yes, we're taking what happens at the altar into our daily lives, and we're trying to live it. We're trying to live the love of the Lord with the people we meet. We're trying to live his sacrifice in the things we don't like or we don't understand. Maybe that's just getting up in the morning. <laughs> but but we're doing it with Jesus, and this profoundly impacts us every day of our lives, and it starts with the Eucharist, the celebration. Well, let's deal with a couple of the other changes, the revisions. Um, uh, I'm going to the Nicene Creed now, and mm-hmm. these words I thought were particularly uh, significant. Beginning, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. Of course, mm-hmm. this is a, a, a change, a change, or perhaps they're mm-hmm. um, uh, reverting back. But um, 
say a little something about the choice of the words, visible well, and invisible. Again, it's uh, located in Colossians 1.16, so we're becoming more authentic. We're, we're using the authentic words. Uh, it says in there, For him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Um, there, there are people who do not believe in the invisible, and believe it or not, there are people who don't believe in everything that's happening in the visible world either, that uh, these are illusions. Uh, the Catholic stance is always a no. What has been created is, and that there's also an unseen creation, and we believe in both. Visible and, vis- and invisible is more authentic to the scriptures. Appreciating, again, back to the beginning of our conversation, the acknowledgement of the spiritual world, not right. just the spirit, of course, that dwells within us, but the spiritual reality that is around us, and the angels, and then the, the saints true. who intervene in our lives, and we, so forth. That is right. One of the saints says, we coexist with an army of saints and angels, and with the Lord himself, whom mm-hmm. we do not see. Okay. This next uh, phrase, mm-hmm. we had a bit of a conversation about this, um, uh, and let me pick up from the reading itself. Uh, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, mm-hmm. begotten, not made, now consubstantial with the Father. Mm-hmm. Consubstantial with the Father. Not born, but consubstantial with the Father. Right. It goes back to 326 A.D. and the Nicene Creed. Uh, uh, one in being might implies consubstantial, but it says it too fast, maybe too glibly. The substance of the Father is pure spirit. It is different from us. We are different from the Father. We are different from God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have a mortal nature. God is immortal. And so this is pulling out uh, a little bit more for us to think, my goodness, this pure spirit, God, above us all, immortal, invisible, always there. And we're part of it. We are consubstantial. The substance of us, of our immortality, is connected to the substance of the immortality of God. Through and, Jesus and Christ. Through Jesus, through Jesus Christ, Christ, absolutely. Right. Through the power of the Incarnation, Christ in the flesh. It's it's powerful, it's magnificent, it's beautiful, and it's still that way, consubstantionum, uh, it's still in the uh, creed, in the Latin, that way. And we have Certainly, I think one of those words that's going to jog the, the thought processes a little bit, because that one, uh, of course, for so many years, we're, we're familiar with a, with a, uh, a current version of it, and uh, that particular phrase, I suspect, is going to jar us a little bit. And so, again, the uh-huh. idea of wrestling with that, that oh, yeah. terminology. Sure. You use the word, which leads to our next one, and that is, uh, referring, of course, to the Incarnation. Mm-hmm. Uh, for us, men, and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary. I used the word born a moment ago, and of course this is where that fits. Not born of the Virgin Mary, but was incarnate mm-hmm. of the Virgin Mary. Right. We're going, there's something that is implied before being born, and that is he took on the flesh. He was conceived by the power of the Spirit, took on flesh, then was born. But uh, incarnate is a bigger, more powerful meaning. Yes, he will be born, but he took on flesh. He had to do that first. And with Mary and her wonderful yes, took on flesh. Uh, It's just a a prior step. And again, it's more authentic to what was said at Nicaea 
and I grew up with that. It was in the Latin. It was in the English translation. We got very dynamic uh, about that. Born of the Virgin Mary. Born implies. But they're going back to the implication because mm-hmm. uh, it means a whole lot more. And it gives us an opportunity to go and wrestle again with the idea of the incarnation, the significance of the incarnation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, taking on, as you said, a human flesh coming uh, into our world to save us. And Mm -hmm. uh, a great, uh, again, I can only think of a uh, a great topic for an evening discussion. Yes, over uh, a long glass of wine. Well, Father, I know music's a large part of your life and your mm-hmm. ministry. Can you tell us a little bit about how these changes are going to affect now uh, the music that we'll be listening to at Mass? Well, uh, yeah, certain, there will be certain changes, uh, and that we will have to address those things. And uh, from the uh, Gloria to the Holy Holy to the Eucharistic Acclamation and Great Amen. Great Amen will be the same Amen. If you can say that, you can sing it. But... Um, there, there will be other other things that we will have to uh, relearn just a little bit, but not not a whole lot. Um, and, and in fact, the the greater burden belongs to the priest in in these things. Um, but uh, uh, the, the, we just went through the Gloria. We just went through the Credo. Uh, we will be hitting upon those things, and and uh, it just means this: we have to get used to the words. And that's what we have begun here in the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. We're getting used to these revisions. Um, the Holy, 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 Lord, God of Hosts. Oops, Hosts, well, we went back. I grew up knowing that. Uh, that uh, God is more than just, we had the words power and might. Okay, well, that implies something prior. Anything created on the invisible level, anything out there, uh, is commanded and upheld by God, and they are there. That includes the angels and all other uh, uh, spiritual beings. Uh, they're essentially the angels. That's what we're talking about. All those good things that God commands, they're out there. He can call them at once to be at his service. Um, they, they are there. And so God of power and might didn't quite tell us that there are there's a whole empire of spiritual things and even those bad spiritual things the the devils uh they're under god's power you know we're, we're talking about a magnificent person here magnificent being who can have control of both all the wonderful good spiritual things and even has control over the bad well, I want to thank you, Father, and I just want to quickly give our listeners a little bit of insight on where some of the uh, uh, literature might be regarding the changes. Of course, we've been referring a couple of times this evening to a guide to the new translation of the Mass by Edward Shree. The last name is spelled S-R-I. Uh, this is available uh, through Ascension Press. Uh, there are a number of publications available through the... Um, uh, bishops, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, NCCB. Sure. Um, in the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, there is the Revised Order of the Mass. This will be coming out, I think, Father, this week. Yeah, we're going to start using it at St. Charles and St. Paul. St. Charles is my other parish. Yeah, mm-hmm. so so we'll mm-hmm. see copies of this if you're in the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. There's also a pamphlet that's been published uh, by Revised Roman Missal LTP uh, mm-hmm. Publications, uh, 
which much of this is available, of course, at any uh, good Catholic bookstore. Father, sure. when, when do the uh, changes uh, become final here? Just before we close with prayer, when do, when do we expect everything is, is uh, final and this is uh, now uh, fully implemented? Well, we will be expected to start to implement everything on the first Sunday of Advent. That's in November and uh, that we will be doing this all together here in the United States. And um, that's November 27th, the 2011, the weekend of the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, but we are, as I said, starting to sing the ordinary parts right now. Okay. A quick programming note. Uh, as I've said, we will begin a series on Therese of Lisieux uh, beginning Monday. I would encourage uh, our listeners uh, to... Uh, begin to read a little bit about Therese. Her feast day, of course, is this Saturday, October 1st, so uh, please take some time out to uh, celebrate with uh, Therese of the Zoo on this Saturday. Um, the, um, the last thing, Father, I'd ask is, could you close us in prayer? Okay. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. From you, Lord, comes holiness in our desires, right thinking in our plans, and justice in our actions. Grant us, your children, that peace which the world cannot give, and our hearts will be devoted to you. We shall be delivered from the fear of terrorism, and under your protection, we shall be able to live in tranquility. Hear this prayer that we make in Jesus' name, for he lives forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Father. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. God bless.